Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. This is a day that the Lord has made, amen? Amen. So welcome to Free Life Community Church, those of you who are here. Welcome to those of you online and those of you on Mecca campus. We're grateful and thankful to have you today. Uh, Friends, I am excited because the summer is here. Uh, It isn't as warm as I'd like it to be sometimes, but it isn't snowing. It isn't really that cold, and I'm grateful for that. I'll take the rain over snow any day. Uh, And you know, uh, I was just commenting to my wife the other day. It seems like the farmer across the street just planted the field, but that corn is is strong and healthy, and it's it's tall. And I'm like, wow! It didn't. It seems like you can actually hear it grow. It's happening so fast. Uh, Some you know we don't have years like that always, but this year we do, and we're grateful for it. And so uh, the weather's been kind of kind of wonky and kind of weird, and you're finding that to be true throughout the world, really. Uh, And I know some people have said, well, you know, uh, the Bible says we won't know the seasons. I don't think that's exactly what Paul was trying to say. Uh, Either way, uh, I do understand the the fear and the thought of that. Uh, But the seasons are changing, uh, not just in the weather, but in our society. And and the winds of change, in my opinion, are not so good. And so, uh, friends, the church is going to have to change. The church is going to have to get smarter. The church is going to have to get more spiritual, I can tell you. And we're going to have to be on our knees more. We're going to have to be learning more. And we're going to have to be practicing our faith more. Anybody believe that? I never, no one trained me or any pastor that I know for the world we live in now. They just didn't. Uh, in our Tuesday morning prayer group, and they, they, the, the North group does it on Wednesdays, uh, but uh, Pastor uh, Aaron Wheaton had, was so good to us a few weeks ago when he gave all the pastors present uh, a book by uh, Erwin Lutzer. Uh, it's called We Will Not Be Silenced. Uh, I, think, I think that uh, every pastor ought to read this book because it tells you what's going on in the world and why it's happening and what we have to do. The church needs to wake up in order to respond. This is a brilliant manuscript. I think that any layperson that's interested in being a force in the world ought to read this book. Uh, pastor Bob got one with me at the prayer group, uh, so I'm going to ask our other pastors if they would come and get them. Heather, I have one for you as well, who's in the program. So Heather, uh, please come. Uh, pastor Jonathan, please come. And Pastor Chris has disappeared again. <laughs> he does that a lot. Uh, read this book, because we're going to read it as, as, a, as a church. I have one for uh, our pastor at, up at Mecca as well. Uh, dear, would you come and get this and give it to Chris? Uh, but anyway, uh, I want all of our pastoral staff and those who are pastors in our church to read this book because it's really going to open your eyes as to what's happening. Friends, we've got to get smart. We've got to get wise. And, and we, we can't just play church anymore. Not just us, anybody. Okay? And listen, I don't think we play church, but sometimes we, we sort of do. You know? you know why? Because we get kind of tired. You get kind of uh, wiped out. Anybody been tired or wiped out and don't feel like doing anything? 
Yeah, I had that, that day yesterday. I did force myself to do some things, or, and my wife kind of uh, helped me to get motivated <laughs> on some things. Yeah, on some things. Uh, but I, I just didn't feel like doing anything. I didn't feel incredibly well. I, I, I couldn't tell you why. I wasn't really sick. I just didn't feel well, uh, and, and I just couldn't get it together. It seemed like, you know, I was trying to hang. We had some blinds that broke. I was trying to hang some blinds, and no screw or no screwdriver bit that I used seemed to work. You ever had that before? Every time, and power drills are great when you, when you but when they round off and the thing, you're just like, you just want to quit. It's just, it's just one of those days. And so what I'm saying to you is the church is going to have to get smarter. And on that, uh, this, is going, this is going beautifully for me because uh, uh, our, our ladies group is going through a Bible study. And the Bible study, I think, is tremendous. Would you agree that it's tremendous? You gals in it, what do you think of it? You, you enjoy it? Well, it ought not just be for the gals. I'm at that point. Because it talks about the differences in the personalities of people. And I I believe in this book and this process so much that in our um, uh, uh, membership classes, I always have everybody uh, take a spiritual gifts test that tells you what your spiritual gifts actually are. Because most people don't know. They can guess at some of it, but not all of it. But we're also going to implement this little quiz that you take in this book that tells you what your personality is too. Worship temperament, yeah, and it's, I, I think it's, it's brilliant in the manner way that this is put together, because rather than looking at the differences of people and saying, well, you know, there's something wrong with them, it celebrates the differences that God made them that way, and this is, this is good, because God did make us certain ways. There are certain things people claim God made us that he did not, okay? That's false. That's heresy, but there are things that he did make us to be, Amen. And I, I have to celebrate the differences. None of you are like me, and I'm not like any of you. And you look around the room, and you will find, you know, here or online or, any, or wherever you are, you, you're going to see people that are Christians, but they worship and serve the Lord differently than you do. And there's nothing wrong with the way they do it, probably. I mean, it's possible there could be, maybe, if it's unbiblical. But because it's preference, that's not. Amen. So instead of looking at people and saying, well, you should be this or you should be that because I am, no, no. And the same is true with the the ability that we have to learn and the ability that we have to understand Scripture and the ability that we have to implement what we've learned. Those are different too. Some people need milk and some people need meat. And sometimes it kind of depends on the day for you or the subject, or how deep in a particular book you've been, or whatever. So rather than looking at people that, you know, constantly seem to have, need milk, maybe that's all they're able to receive. And maybe they just don't want any more than that. Now, that's a problem. But nevertheless, God has a plan for all of us, Amen. And so I've entitled this message as Brand Spanking New. I put it together over the last several weeks, and I think it's, it's going to be uh, a message that might really, uh, you might identify with. And I've named it Milk and Meat Moving to Christian Maturity. Because everybody ought to be moving to Christian maturity, right? Some people are in the meat stage, some people in the milk stage, and some people are somewhere in between or kind of mixing it. But we're all supposed to be moving to a Christian maturity. Amen? Agreed with that? Okay, who in here disagrees with that? Stand up. Because I didn't hear enough amens or yes. Okay, so do you think we all should be moving toward Christian maturity? Yes or no? Yes. 
Oh, that's a little better. All right, so now that we agree on that, let's take a look at it. And take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul is going to be speaking here on the divisions in the church. How appropriate. How appropriate. We just said that the world is going in a, in a and society is going in a direction that's spiraling downward, and we are off the reservation, so to speak. We're off the rail, the, we're off the rails. The wheels are off the off the wagon. Something's wrong. Okay? And yet the church ought to be the answer. And it hasn't been, because we're playing church rather than living out what God has said. There's another problem. We are fighting and being indiscriminate in the church. That's a problem. The church ought to be united. Amen? So these are things we have to talk about, and, and we ought to celebrate the differences of people, how they worship, right? Where they are in their spiritual prowess. But everybody ought to be moving toward learning and growing in their faith, Christian maturity. So Paul addresses that right here. And I like the way that he does it. He says, brothers... I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Now that's, <laughs> I have to say to you, wow. Paul is saying there ought not be any jealousy or quarreling in the church. For if there is, then you're worldly. That's what he's saying. These are not my words. These are his. Is he not saying that? Okay. Are you not acting just like mere people? Anybody who's not saved? Anybody who's not, Are you not just acting like society? Because that's what they do. We expect them to do it. Because they don't know what we know. They don't have what we have. Amen? That's what Paul is saying to us and the church at Corinth. I expect it from them. But not, not here. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not just following men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building upon it. I think, wow, I wonder how many pastors identify with that. Amen? But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, and you know what that day is, capitalized, will bring it to light. Right? It's who goes to heaven and who does not. Amen? Okay. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And I don't want to be that person. I know what he's talking about there. That's a sermon for. Yeah, but you don't want to be there. Because that means you're going to go through the great tribulation, and nobody here wants to do that. Trust me. 
nobody out there wants to do it either. They just don't know it. Do you believe that? Okay. Don't you know, verse 16, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple. Now, this is, this is interesting here. You got to grasp what he's, what he's saying. If you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. How many of you never knew that that was in there before? How many of you thought, wow, would God really do that? Well, he just said he would. But I thought God wouldn't destroy anybody. That's what you get for thinking. I'm dead serious here, friends. We think too much rather than knowing what's in here. And that's the basis of what I'm going to say in this message today. We're thinking too much what we, what we believe is in the Scripture, what we want to be in the Scripture, and what we think we know about it. And we're living that way versus actually being in here and knowing how to live, and that's what's wrong with the church today. And that's what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, and that's what he's telling you and me. He says, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple, and you're expected to be the temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, you'd understand what he means by that, right? If you think you're wise based on your worldly experience, well, look what he says. He should become a fool so that he can now become wise. In other words, you should forget everything you learned on the street and come in here and learn what really is. Wow! See, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't believe that at one time. I, I really didn't. I thought that my experience and the experiences that I had, you know, that I knew what was. Yeah, I was street smart. God told me I needed to become a fool and know nothing so I could be retaught properly. You know how many people in the church are living that way? You know how many people out there have no idea? They look at us and think, well, they're just stupid in there. They don't know what's what. What does God say? See, God's going to determine who's wise and who's the fool. You don't. They don't. I don't. He does. So what are you? Are you the wise or are you the fool? Well, I'd say if you're willing to become a fool to learn God's way, then you're wise. I would rather forget everything I learned on the street and allow God to teach me the right way so that I'm with him on that day he just talked about. Anybody with me here? Anybody believe that that day is coming? Okay. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. But yeah, because the devil's number one. Hasn't God already put him in his place? Is he going to put him in another place too? Come on, kids. Are you with me? Is he or isn't he? Okay. So the craftiness is how the Bible describes Lucifer, Satan, isn't it? From the very beginning described him that way. So, in other words, what Paul is trying to say, he's using craftiness here, knowing where craftiness comes from. Okay? And so, do you want to be identified with God or Satan? It's up to you. People out, out here who don't believe that that's true are going to find out that it is true. They're going to find out that you either be, belong to God or you belong to Satan. You follow God or you follow Satan. There is no middle of the road for anyone. Never has been. But somehow, we're making up our own Christianity, our own belief system to say that there is. No, there's not. Because when Christ comes, you will either be found in Him, yes, or out. In or out. No one in any denomination, in any Christian church, could dispute that. 
We might dispute some other things together, but that ain't one of them. Am I right, pastors? Okay. Am I right, lay people? Okay. So you understand what he's saying. This is serious business. Paul, Paul isn't playing games here. He's pointed to the Corinthian church. He says that the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise, meaning the worldly people, are futile because they don't really know what they're talking about. But you thought you did, didn't you? Okay? So then, no more boasting about people, he says, because all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is God. In other words, these things are going to happen. The future is going to happen. Life is going to happen, and death is going to happen for some. Which it is for you is up to you. It's going to happen, but which one you're in is up to you. Sheep or goats, it's up to you. Amen? Don't guess at it. No. Every child I've ever known just cannot wait to grow up. Just can't. They hunger to become teenagers. And, they, and, and here's what, what I found that they'll do. I know, and, and I don't have to see them do it because I did it. Okay? Your parents would lay down the law with you, and they would uh, set you in your place a time or two. And, and I don't know if parents are doing it today like they used to in the way they ought to, but, but mine did and I suspect that many of yours did, and that we ought to be doing it, but this is what parents ought to do. And so they set you in your place, and they kind of uh, take your pride away from you a little bit once in a while. You ever heard that? You ever seen that happen before? Yeah, and the kid will push it so far until they know that it's going to have a consequence that they don't want, and so the consequences that they don't care about, they'll, they'll blow past, and then the ones that are coming to them that they do, want, like taking the keys to the car away, or God forbid we would take somebody's cell phone today. <laughs> Right? That's the worst possible punishment you could ever have. For me, it wasn't, but for them, it is, you know. And so, you know, when that, you get to that punishment, then all of a sudden, here's what happens. Then they, they stop, and the parent thinks they won. The kid turns around, and they mutter under their breath. And you're just going to tell them something or something else, and, but, of course, they never heard it. But then, and the further away from the parent you get, the louder it gets. I'm the only one in this place that ever did that. Right? You didn't do it. You, oh, you were, you were just good church kids. You wouldn't have dreamed of doing it. You wouldn't do it. But you did. And so you had this idea. You, they want to become uh, drivers. They want to get their drivers. That's the, that's the first thing they want to get is a driver's license. Yeah? Never mind you don't have a car or insurance, but you want the license. I, I, I know that. Okay. Speaking from experience here, couldn't wait to get that thing in my pocket because it meant I could do it. Even if dad said no, there was always ways to run the car. <laughs> my dad's, uh, I hope dad's not listening today. My dad's friend told him, take his keys from him. Dad said, well, for he runs them anyway. Because I did. I don't think you can do it on the cars today, but I did on mine. Didn't need a key. I was determined. And that license told me I had the right to do that when I really didn't. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? They want to start dating. Oh, that's a big one too. Right? And every parent in here is mortified of the date when that comes. Aren't you? Then they start 
aspiring to go to college or they want to start work and they want to become adults. And in the same way, there are many in the church who hunger to grow in the Christian faith. I don't think it's as many as want to become adults and do their own thing in human life, but there are people in the church that hunger to grow into Christian maturity. They want to gain a deeper awareness of the Christian truths that we know are there. They want a stronger faith for living in the manner way that they know God expects them to. Anybody been there before? You want a stronger, a stronger faith for living God's way? Wake up now. Come on. Do you want that? Well, of course you do. They want this Christian maturity in their lives. And this hunger is commendable because it is commanded. It's commendable because it's commanded. And spiritual growth, my friends, is massively important. In Paul's first letter here to the Corinthians, he is actually criticizing the practice of the church. And you know what I found? No Christian in any church anywhere on the planet in any given time wants to be criticized for who they are and what they are. Do they? Paul says Christians are falling short of God's desire for their own personal growth. That's what he says is happening. In chapter 3, as we read it, you find his letter begins with this disappointment and disapproval of believers because Paul said he could speak to them only as mere infants in Christ. And if I walked out to any one of you and said, you know what, you're just an infant in Christ, you would probably respond in a variety of ways. Uh, some of you would say, you're nuts. Some of you would say, yeah, maybe, but what do you know? Some of you would get indignant. Some of you would get defensive. And some of you would just plain get angry. But you know, I can handle all those. You know the person that would bother me the most is the one that didn't care. The one that didn't care that their pastor thought that they were an infant in Christ. You know, friends, I think there's a lot of people that don't care. Yep. Don't care what people think. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's it. I don't, care. I don't care if you're the pastor. I don't care if you're an elder. I don't care if you're a, 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 a leader in the church. I don't care what you think. Because it's between me and God, and you have no right to judge me. That's what we would say. And the Bible says just the opposite of that. The Bible says, oh, not only do we have the right to judge you, we're required to do so. And that's what Paul's doing right here. He's saying, I'm not judging whether you're going to heaven or not, but my indication says you're not. <laughs> right? Because you're not doing the things God said you should do. Okay? We got a problem. If God gave commandments and you're talking to the hand here, we got a problem. If God, that's called disobedience, isn't it? But probably not very many people going to church this morning think they're being disobedient, even if they are. Just a thought. Paul says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for the meat. In fact, you're still not ready. But every person I've ever known thinks they're ready for things well before they ever are. Not just teenagers, neither. Amen? Everybody thinks they're ready to lead in any particular environment. Everybody thinks they're ready to take on more responsibility. Everybody, right? Think they should have more freedoms, right? Come on. And the reason that Paul says this is that he knows that God wants us to grow. And not just the Corinthian church, but you and me. All of us here in this facility, all of us up at Mecca, all of us online, God wants, and even those who aren't even listening today, 
God wants all of us to grow. He wants us to move beyond the elementary stages of this milk theology and into the meat and maturity theology. He wants all of us to move that direction. And, and he wants us to do it so that we can understand and then implement the meaning of the meat. Because you could read the meat, but if you don't understand it, you can't implement it. He wants you to understand the meaning of it. That's why I always tried to tell my children when I disciplined them or wouldn't let them do things or force them to do something, why I was doing it. And I told them, when you're a parent, you can do it any way you want to. But I'm doing it for you, and this is why I'm doing it. Now, did they always agree? No. But I suspect that at least they knew my reasons behind it. And that's what we have to do. My dad forced me to do things or not do things I still don't agree with. Even as an adult, I don't agree that he did, did the right thing. But I believe he did the best he could do at the time, what he thought was right. Friends, th this, is, this is life. And as I began to think about this, I realized that we ought to be striving for a deeper spiritual life. I suspect everybody in here, I think I have your attention. And I'll bet you everybody in here would probably say, if I started up here, I'll, even, even my grandson who's over here, I'll bet you even he would say yes. If I went all the way, that you say, yes, I would like a deeper spiritual life. That's why you're here today. It's one of the reasons, isn't it? I doubt that any of you came just to hear the message or just to have a particular type of worship or fellowship with the people, although those are the things we're going to hit today. I'll bet you came because you want a deeper spiritual life. And all of those go with it, you see. And there are some facts and truths about growing in maturity that we have to realize and then we have to remember them. And the first thing is that we're going to be confronted, my friends, with misleading beliefs. You are going to be confronted with misleading beliefs, and I'll bet you I'm going to shock you today of what they are. Because you're already forming in your mind what some of the misleading beliefs are, and I'll bet you none of them are going to be addressed. Is that great? Do I have your attention yet? Is that, is, that, is that crazy to you? I mean, we all know we're going to come across misleading beliefs, yeah? But here, here, here's what they are. The ones that maybe you didn't think of, the ones I think that Paul is addressing. One misleading belief that I think can disrupt our movement toward spiritual maturity is the feeling that we have to be in one particular church with a certain particular type of worship or a particular type of people. That is a misleading belief because the fact is you do not. If God's in it, it doesn't matter where it is, who it is, or what it is. For whatever reason, we seem to think that the worship style that we particularly as individuals prefer is a prelude to getting us in the mood to hear the truth of the message or the lesson or whatever it is we're going to hear. Let me explain that to you. Everybody wants to hear truth that will help them on their journey to growth. Everybody does, amen? And I suspect that if you go to church wanting to get some, you will. Whether you like the pastor or not, whether you like the way the message is given or not, if you go there to learn something, I suspect you'll get it. If it comes from the Word of God. Okay? But basically what happens is if we go to a church and we somehow don't like the worship, we don't like the way they've done it, they don't like the songs, or we don't like the speed of the music or the loudness or the softness of it or whatever it is. Because those are the things we're all going to complain because everybody in here in the differences we have 
are going to complain about things in any worship or not like something in any worship. You understand that? It's just a fact. So what happens if we don't like the worship, our attitudes all of a sudden become a little sour. And that's all you can think about is what you don't like here. Well, if they would only do this type of music more. Or I wish, I wish that guy back there would turn that down. Or can't they do something else? We've been doing the same song for three weeks, for goodness sake. You know? Now tell me that hasn't happened. It's happened in this morning somewhere. It might have happened here for all I know. But the fact of the matter is, when you get that on your mind, that's all you think about. That's all, that's all you see. And so when the time comes around for the sermon or the message or whatever your, your church calls it, because I think there's probably people not from our church listening today, uh, whatever it is, see, what happens is uh, you, you're, you're almost shut down to it or you're at least not hearing the depth of it because your mind is still back here at the worship that's already ended or the music that we've already, it's done. And you're, you're already, you're still struggling with it, and you're now thinking about whether you're going to come back to that church or not, or you're going to say something to somebody or not, or whatever it is. And a lot of times, you don't say something to the people that it could actually make a difference or tell you why they did it that way. You'll go to somebody who has no influence over it just to complain, so they'll say, I agree. That's what we do. That's humanity. That's who we are. Come on, call it out. Okay, so, you know, if you're willing to look at self today, okay, because that's what it is. And so what happens is you're not open and excited to hear solid preaching or teaching, no matter what it is. And it's all because our ears or our feelings weren't tickled by the worship style that we prefer. And listen, friends, you and I know that that happens. I found that you can worship with a guitar only. I've seen it done. When I was a little kid, my grandparents uh, would, uh, they liked uh, the organ playing in the Catholic church that they attended, Roman Catholic church. And so they would drag me to that, you know, and I didn't care for a lot of it. But anyway, and then one day uh, they were talking about it and, and, and grandma said, I, I think we're going to go to, uh, we're not going to go to Saturday night uh, this week. And, uh, and I said, why not? Because the banjos are on Saturday night. The banjos? <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. She's long gone, so, I, you know, grandma, bless, forgive me. But she said, because she didn't like, it was guitar. It was, a, it was a young college student who played a guitar, and that's all he did. And she didn't like it, because it wasn't what she was used to. So she, by golly, wasn't going, and, and she was grateful that she had, you know, three or four services on Sunday morning she could go to that didn't play the banjo. Because that's who we are. I'm not picking on Grandma. I'm simply saying, she, if Grandma hadn't done it, somebody else would have. See, this is, this is who we are, and that's all we think about. You know what else happens? Uh, it ha it, uh, this confronted by misleading beliefs uh, happens in the environment of our fellowship as well. Have you considered that? Some people feel that they have to be in a church where there are people uh, there that they like and that they identify with. God may not send you to a church of people that you like. <laughs> what does a pastor do when he's called to a church of people he knows he's not going to get along with? Or she's not going to get along with? Did God call you there? I assure you that every pastor that begins in a new church, there's a honeymoon for a little while, and then the honeymoon ends. <laughs> it happened here. It wasn't terrible, but it happened. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. You find out real quick that people absolutely care who's who. 
and what's what in the church. And so as I began to think about that, I realized that it's true with lay people as well. They got to go someplace where the who's who attend. I absolutely know people that don't attend here that attend somewhere when I ask them, where do you go? And they can't give me a straight answer. They don't like where they're going necessarily, but they will tell me, you know, know, but they won't say the reason why. And it's because they're there, and I believe it, because of who's there. That's a shame. If you're not being fed someplace, by all means, go somewhere else. Okay? I'm telling you that. If, if you're not identifying with what I'm teaching or what your pastoral staff does or, or you don't like our work, then go somewhere where you do. Don't just stop coming. And don't start complaining. But that's what we do. Now, I'm grateful that I don't think we have a lot of that here. Because to be honest with you, I'm going to confront it if it happens. I just am. I don't, I don't, I don't relish confrontation. I don't want to confront. But the Bible says that's what we have to do. You know? And I would hope and pray that you would do the same to me if I'm part of the problem and not the solution. Amen? Oh, we don't want to answer that. Now, come on. Are we being honest here or not? You come for truth, didn't you? Okay. So this is what Paul's talking about. Oftentimes, people attend a church and use that particular congregation as a networking platform for business, for popularity, for sales, uh, maybe even for possible financial connections, maybe even political connections. I'm telling you, when you use church as a platform for any of those things, you're there for the wrong reasons. And not just that particular church, but any church. The truth is, both of these beliefs, and we have them, are misleading. I don't say they're wrong because they are both factors in how comfortable we are concerning music, concerning worship style, uh, concerning people. But they are misleading to us because one can grow and mature, I think, you know, regardless of the music and the worship style. I think you can grow and mature in any fellowship of people. And you know what the key is? Attitude. This one and this one. Attitude. Attitude is the key to all of it. And if we come with a spirit of hunger and a a desire to grow, then God is going to see to it that we do. Isn't he? Because what can God not do? And if God puts you, you know, in a particular place to worship with a particular group of people and they do things a certain way, if you go in like this, I suspect you're going to get something. If you go in like this, you're probably not going to get much. That's on you. Always has been. Always will be. Amen? So we'll be confronted with misleading beliefs. There's a second misleading belief that I think can affect our growth in Christ, and that's the feeling that meat must somehow be different than milk. And let me tell you why I think that. Because for a long time, I thought it was. Even as a pastor, I thought that. And I found through my study here that they're the same. They're just different depths. That's all they are. They're both feeding. Wow. I'm hoping that my brand new little grandson gets to come home pretty soon. But one of the factors was that he could take a bottle and be fed. I would like nothing more than to put my arm around him and introduce him to a juicy 
rare steak. And I suspect that his daddy's going to do that one day with lots of pepper on it. But the fact of the matter is that right now he can't handle it. But by golly, he's got to have whatever it is he can't handle. He's got to have it or he's not going to grow. Amen? That milk is just as important as the meat that I'm eating today, I think. You understand? They're not different. They're, we, we think they are, but they're not really. They are, but they're not. Okay? So you got to understand that some people are going to have one or the other. I'm just grateful they'll accept one or the other at this point. This can be misleading. In other words, if it isn't different or if it isn't new, then it must not be meat. No. That's false. This is how cults grow in our... And I didn't say Indianapolis cults. I said cults. C-U-L-T-S. That's how cults get their, their claws into people and they jerk them away from reality. I've got, I, you know, this is how they do I, I'm spiritual, and I've got a new message from God and a new way of doing it. That's how cults get started. Understand? I'm not saying we can't have newness of how we present it. I'm not saying we can't worship new in different ways. I'm not saying that at all. But when you start saying that you've got something new that the Bible never taught before, something's wrong. Okay, because we, we know that that isn't true. They'll say things like, well, you know, uh, uh, the old teaching um, is, is childish, it's immature, and it's illogical. That's, I, those are some of the things I've heard them say. They'll say, come and hear our teaching, because our teaching is new, it's exciting, and it makes sense to the modern intellectual mind. Okay? That's dangerous, my friends. That is very dangerous. And let me give you some reasons why. One, newness is not a requirement for spiritual meat. Because the same meat's been in here for many, many centuries. Amen? Amen. Okay? Often, it, it is that simple childhood faith that God intends as a meat for our lives. You may not completely understand what you're reading, but you know where it came from. Okay? And you've got to have faith that God gave it to you, and he wants you to have it. And in time, you're going to digest it. I'm still learning certain passages, friends. Okay? I suspect that will happen to the day I close my eyes for good. I'll be learning. Anybody in here think that? Okay. Secondly, the Word of God has been around for a very, very long time. It hasn't been disproven. It cannot be disproven. It hasn't changed from the beginning of the time it was incepted. And anything new is likely some sort of a distortion, a compromise, or I would dare say possibly an addition to the Scripture. And Lord knows there's some cults out there that have done that. Don't make me say them. Yes, I know there's good people that attend those places. But that doesn't make their theology proper and right. You don't need anything more than what's in here. You don't need an additional book or additional manuscript. Okay? You follow me? Because God says you don't. And if you have it, it isn't God you're listening to. So you can tell me I'm old-fashioned and I'm uncultured and I'm illogical all you want. But I know who my God is and I know what he gave me. And when you... Rely on those things is clearly dangerous. And this is exactly what cults have done 
since the very first one was developed. Thirdly, repetition in the word seems to be very important to God. I don't like it when someone has to tell me three or four times something that I just didn't get. It's happening more and more because I can't hear very well. But I'll tell you, sometimes it was by choice because I didn't want to hear it. There's a difference from not hearing and not wanting to hear. Amen? You understand? And so, but God repeats a lot of things. And, you know, when someone tells you, what did you, like last night, I'll give an example. I'm not going to pick up my wife, but she did this. Uh, so I went, I, I, I came in and, and, I, and I put the car away. And the first thing she said to me was, did you roll up the windows and close the, the sunroof? Well, of course I did. I'm not picking. Of course I did. But it kind of bothered me that she had to ask me that. It's like, why wouldn't I? You know? But the fact is, sometimes we could forget. Or we, right? And you don't know. Listen, Fred, I, I don't know what kind of critters get in my garage. And if they get in my garage, they're probably going to get in my car. And that ain't be good. Especially if my wife gets in the car to go to work and drives out and the critter's in the car. That's going to be, see? I'm just using that as an example. All I'm saying is this, okay? Sometimes I, I almost think that we kind of don't like it what God repeats to us. Okay, and let, let, me, let, me, let me go down this road just for a minute. I'm just being honest here. I think it happens. He repeats certain truths over and over again, and likewise, all of us will likely say that every time we read a passage in Scripture, God teaches us something fresh from it. Yeah. And the passage itself wasn't new at all, was it? And yet it continues to feed us and deepen our understanding, which promotes spiritual growth. And another thing is, sometimes I think we feel that we've just got to get to the meat. I want to skip past all the milk and get to the meat. I, again, every teenager I've ever known wants to do that. Okay? They think if they get their license, they can take a trip to Texas from Indiana. No, probably not. Although I heard that somebody did that. <laughs> okay? But I can tell you, my kids... I, I struggled to let them out of the driveway for a variety of reasons. You know, some were better drivers than others. Some still are better drivers than others. And now I'm not going to tell you who's who. But the fact of the matter, and because they don't even know what I think about it, probably. But the fact of the matter is, we want to jump steps a lot of times. Okay, we want to skip things. We want to move into the, you know, and we go, yeah, 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 just get to the point. And sometimes that's okay. And a lot of times it isn't. And God wants you to grasp what he has for you. You know, whether you're ready for the meat or not, it's important. We feel sometimes, I think, less than other people. We feel inferior. If we can only take on milk, but everybody else is getting this meat, and you sit and you're in something, you're like, I don't understand a thing of what he's saying. And so you feel inferior. And a lot of people will stop going because of that. Okay? And God's like, no. Every time you come, you're going to get something. And it'll keep growing and learning. And then all of a sudden, you'll be, gra you'll be nodding your head like everybody else. Sometimes we nod our heads and don't have a clue. <laughs> I look at you guys and think, they're bobbleheads. They're going. <laughs> and I know you have a clue. Because I don't even know what I meant by it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it takes time to get there, Okay. Now, if you're that person who wants to stay on milk because you don't want to believe the depth of truth, well, we may have a problem, okay? Or if you don't want to re be responsible for the knowledge that God has given you, oh, 
That's another problem. And the fact is, you're, you're at odds with God anyway. So it doesn't matter. Has caused us uh, to move beyond this common understanding and into a position of, of, I guess, superior understanding and truth. Where we think we're better than everybody else around us. Paul describes that as prideful. That's what he says. Can we, can we be church prideful? Sure we can. And I think I've been guilty of it sometimes. I think I've been guilty of it, and, and, and I'm going to apologize to any other denominations or churches out there today that I've seemingly put down, because I don't mean ever mean to do that. I think we're pretty good at what we do, and I think we've got a pretty good message here. I think, you know, that, of course I think it. But just because others don't do it the way we do it doesn't mean we're the only ones that are doing it. Okay, and I, 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 I had, God had to teach me that lesson. Okay, I still can point out things that I believe are probably not so good in other places. But I would, I, if I'm willing to do that, I better listen when someone tells it to me for us. You understand? Because we're all on the same team here. Or we're supposed to be. And, and that's the point. This prideful thing can, can jump in and it can take over. You see, before long, pride begins to stir within us and a, and a judgmental spirit begins to distort our closeness to God. I found that to be true. Because, again, all I see is the differences. Okay? So that distorts my closeness to God. And, yes, I think we need to grow. But growing for the sake of growing is not God's intention. He doesn't want you to grow just to grow. Okay? He expects growth to lead us to more Christ-like living. I've known people that could quote Scripture backwards and forwards, but their lives outside the church didn't look like much to me. Okay? But the person that's gaining all they can, whether they understand it all or not, and they're trying to change to be more Christ-like, that's the person that God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the one. Not the one that sits there like this and chews their gum and says, I know more than everybody else. I've seen that happen in church before. I can even give you names. I'm not going to do it because I think they're all dead now. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is the church went through this period. And sometimes we're in danger of doing the same thing, just in a different way. And so you've got to be real careful with that. No, you're not more enlightened than anybody else, probably. Okay? Because we all, and we shouldn't worry about it if we are not anyhow. We should be worried about what's God going to give me today. I should, you know, as a pastor, should want to walk in and gain just as much as you do. Amen? That's, that's what God wants from us. And so... This incessant drive for growth can become a wedge that will separate us, friends, from you know, Christ's desire for our lives and our desire to grow and learn our way and in our time. It, it drives a wedge. This is dangerous for obvious reasons. Okay, so we will be confronted with misleading beliefs. Secondly, here, here, here's another big one. I think that familiarity can limit mastering God's message. Familiarity can limit mastering God's message. I recently spoke to a young lady uh, who had started reading the Bible uh, with her second uh, grade son. She doesn't attend her. It's somebody I met uh, at a, at a, I, elsewhere. And uh, we're talking about different churches, and uh, she actually uh, is a worker in one of the banks I, I use. And so we're talking a little bit, and she'd been teaching her son how to read, read Scripture, reading together, uh, and they're using the Living Translation because he understands it better. Great, you know. 
And I'm certain that there were probably somebody around that said, well, if you're reading the New Living Translation, then that's not the real word of God anyway. That's unfortunate because I think some people would actually say that. That's a poor attitude. It really is. Let's face it. We don't use the language in the King James anymore. We haven't for many years. And it's hard. I can't digest it. Okay? And are they all accurate? Not as accurate as some, but none of them are inaccurate. So read the scripture that you'll, like I said, what scripture should you get? The one you'll read. Yeah. And I, I personally like to cross-platform to different versions. Anybody? Learn a lot there. Okay. So I think that's a wise thing to do. But they were reading together, uh, and they were reading, she said, um, uh, you know, and, and every now and then when they would read something, it didn't sound quite right to her. So she would have him read it out of the King James or the NIV because there was a more, you know, usable translations. And so, because that's where this, the verse sounds right. Okay. Uh, but the message didn't change in the other one. And either way, they were recently reading out of the Gospel of John, and when they came to John 3.16, her son commented to her, oh, this is an old one. He'd, he'd heard it many times, you know. And so being familiar, I think, with Scripture can do that to us. We can know it so well that, there's, uh, that we know all there is to know about it. You know? I think, I think there's a danger there. And we find ourselves... Uh, blinded to a God-intended meaning within the passage. And what I think there, friends, this is my thought process, but I think it takes several times of reading through, through, uh, throughout our lives to pull all that God intended us to know on every scripture. And it's a development over time. This is why the Word of God is actually called the living Word of God, right? It continues to grow within us. Uh, not too long ago, uh, it happened to me. Uh, and, I, and I caught myself doing it. I was reading a daily devotion, and the day's scripture was on the prodigal son. Uh, and in many uh, years of ministry, I, I've taught that passage. I, I can't even count how many times I've taught that passage. I think I know it pretty well. It's pretty popular anyway. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've taught it. I've studied it. I've read the commentaries on its meaning. I've outlined the message in there. And you know what I found myself doing when I did this devotion? I said to myself, oh, you know, I know this one pretty well. And so I skipped past the scripture and, and got down uh, into the devotional thoughts. And I consciously had to return back to the passage and reread it to allow God to express the message in his word to me. And the reason is because here's what happens. Yes, I know it's important to grow. But whenever you think that you know the Scripture, it will eventually begin to limit your understanding of God's message. And more than that, you're going to have a tendency, I think, to distort the meaning because over time, we lose the skill and the knowledge of what it actually says. And I think this happens quite often to people. And, what, and then when we try to recall it, we guess at what we think it says, and we might even leave just one word out that's paramount. And it changes the meaning completely. And when you do that, that's dangerous because you thought you knew what it said. I've had people come and argue with me. The Bible says you are not to judge. I said that's not what it says. Yes, it does. Not if you read the whole thing. Well, I read it, and that's what it says in one portion but you're missing the meaning of it. You're missing what Jesus was actually trying to teach us. What he was saying is, not that you don't have a right to judge. He was saying, 
what you should do is be such a great Christian that you not only have the ability, you're comfortable in doing so because you know. Okay? That's what he really said. But we, we, we don't, we don't want to get that deep. See? That's, that's what happens. So it's easier to say, well, don't judge me because then nobody can call you on anything. This is the danger. And so I think you got to remember that. Let's move on. Number three, we have to remember that one person's meat is likely going to be another person's milk. Now, I, I touched on that briefly a minute ago. I want to touch it again. But have you noticed how Paul identified a person who needs milk? He looked at the actions of the person. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul reports this jealousy and quarreling that was taking place among the believers. And it shouldn't have been there in the first place, and Paul shouldn't have had to told them that they were doing it, and it wasn't Christ-like. Right? You, 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 I'm setting you up here. Okay, you, right? Because he set them up. And I mean, when I say setting you up, I'm meaning I'm setting myself up too. We, we have to understand that jealousy and quarreling shouldn't be there amongst believers. It shouldn't. But what happens is there's this pride of experience and background that kind of seeps into a church. And there's an effort to build a relationship with some sort of a, I call it maybe a, a second-rate labor and a, and a, and a giving, uh, um, and giving leftover attention. We, we, give, we, we, we just don't want to seem to give first-rate attention to things that ought to have first-rate attention sometimes. And what happens is there are lives lived and acts conducted which shame God's temple and somebody's body, and Paul addressed that. It's shameful to, be, to call yourself a Christian and act or not act a certain way. That's just the way it is. It's shameful. And that's what he's talking about at the end of that passage. I think sometimes there's a, a blindness to God's wisdom and his intention. In other words, we can't have a class system in God's church at all. There should never be a class system in God's church, ever. Whether it's knowledge, whether it's worship, whether it's pastoral education, whether it's what you're able to receive or not, what you're able to give or not, how much money you take in, how many people you attend. That None of those things matter. None of them. None of those things are addressed in the Scripture to be better at. But be better and more Christ-like in your spirituality, that's addressed constantly. And that's what Paul is trying to say. And the fact of the matter is some people are simply not at the level of spirituality that others are, and vice versa. Agreed? Some people aren't at the level of knowledge that others are, and vice versa. But you're expected to act and serve to the level that you have progressed. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what God expects. You are expected to serve to the level that you have progressed. And you know what? Many don't do that very well. Many don't do that very well. And some don't do it at all. I'm just being honest. I, no, I don't have any in mind, and no, I'm not looking at you. But I know it's true. There's no doubt, friends, that among the Corinthians, there were individuals that were ready for the meat. Amen? Paul's audience included leaders and active believers in the church. 
And yet, while some were mature, many of his leaders still really needed milk. His leaders did. This was a disappointment to Paul. But since milk was what they needed, that's what he gave them. Okay? And I think that in any church, there are people who are spiritually mature in one area, and yet they're kind of childish in another. Okay? Have you ever noticed that? In fact, I think in almost any given Sunday morning in any church, most any sermon or lesson is going to contain milk for some and meat for others. And I know that because I'll bring a sermon or a message or a lesson or whatever, and people come out and they'll tell me it was great, or if it wasn't, they don't say anything. And then what happens is that some will say, I, you know, I got this out of it, and somebody else will say, I got this out of it, and they're completely different. And sometimes I didn't even intend what some people thought. So, and some people misunderstood what I was trying to say. It happens all the time. Pastor Chris and I just talked about this. Sometimes what you intend to say isn't how people take it. That's just life. It's communication. But we're all in a different place. But if the message offers new insight and it touches tender nerves, listen carefully. Because when I when my, when my nerves get touched and they're tender in that area, the first thing I want to do is shut down. Now listen. Anybody here? Okay. But you ought to listen more carefully. If in the sermon you recognize that there are some steps that you got to take or some changes that you got to make, then apply the message to your life. Take the steps. Change. Grow. Do what it says. Because that's what God's wanting you to do anyway. That's why you were here. And when that happens, that particular message is the one that's giving you the milk that you need to develop your faith. And next week, maybe the message will be all meat for you. That's okay. On the other hand, it may be that you hear in a sermon uh, something that you already know in practice. And in this area, you may have moved beyond the milk and into your uh, deeper spiritual maturity. That, that's good. But obviously, listen to the message for what God has to say. But in the meantime, pray for those around you who you think could grow from what they hear and ask God to develop their taste for meat. If what I'm speaking to you, you already know backwards and forwards, good for you. But somebody in here, out there, around here, needs it. Yeah? That's that way in any church. Lastly, I think that growth is a matter of personal decision. And I know somebody's going to say, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I just told you that I know that some people have different abilities than others. My granddad told me, why do you get bad grades in your social studies class? Because I don't like it. He said, we call that geography. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't like it either, he said. But I found that I had to study harder than the things I didn't like. Yeah, but the fact it still remains, I don't want to at all. See, and that's, we think we can somehow get by with that in life. So growth is a matter of personal decision. Growth builds on foundations already in place. Let me explain that. If we want to grow with meat, we're going to need more than sermons and teaching. Preaching and teaching give elements of meat. Teaching can give you directions to maturity. But real growth, friends, is going to come through your own willingness, get this, to read, study, Follow and implement what you've learned in your life. 
That's where the growth is. Not from what I taught you today, not from what you learned in a Sunday school class, not what you're going to learn tonight or in your life group or in your Bible study or whatever it is. That's not where the real growth takes place. That's where the, the elements are put into place. You grow from doing something with it. That's where the growth takes place. More study with it, okay? And instead of telling the teacher or the pastor, I don't know if I agree with that, keep your mouth shut, open the Word of God, and read it again and again and again and again. And say, Lord, help me to understand what I was being taught. Because the first thing you want to do is disagree. I know because I do it. Yeah? How accurate is that? So God says you can grow from this. And what he might teach you is that the person that taught you was wrong. Okay, now you got something. Go tell them. But give it time first. Amen? That's what we have to do. And friends, I will tell you, this is precisely why any pastor worth their weight will challenge a congregation to take the messages, to take the Bible studies and other teachings to the next level. What I mean by that is to continue to study the passage and the points that were taught. This way, it gives you a deeper understanding no matter what. Because there's only so much time in any day, in any, in any service, and no pastor can give you everything that you should learn about any one passage in any one lesson. You understand that? There's way more. Let me explain that. I know we're late, but you got to hear this. One major difference between a high school student and a college student is the viewpoint of their learning. And every first-year college student knows what I'm talking about. It's a whole lot different, isn't it? No new ball game. Okay? And, it, and it's different in a master's program and a doctoral program, too, believe me. Okay? Every level is different than the last one. And let me explain it to you. In high school, students frequently feel, <laughs> notice I use the word feel, that their only responsibility to learn is what the teacher gives them in the classroom. Because that's what's going to be on the test, and so, hey, that's all i got to learn. And I'll get that diploma, and hey, wow. But the kid that wants to learn more will be better equipped for college. It's a fact. Okay? Not finished there yet. A college student, on the other hand, has hopefully matured. He or she understands that learning comes through reading and study outside the classroom far more than you ever do in the classroom. Am I right? You know I am. If you've ever been there, do you do? Okay. More than that, college professors teach the material and they expect the students to not only hear and learn what was taught, but deepen their understanding by reading and studying. And they don't much care if you do or you don't. A professor is not going to call your parents and say, well, Johnny's not doing too good in my class. But in high school, they will. College? Professor doesn't care. You want to spend, you know, tuition and blow it off? That's up to you. Whatever. I'm tenured. It's just different. Am I right? Okay. So you see the difference. But this is why a college is more difficult and why the tests, the midterms, exams are more comprehensive. Yet the students learn so much more. And it's a good thing because they're becoming doctors, scientists, attorneys, and other professionals. People, friends, that we expect to know their stuff. Okay? You see the difference? In the same way, in Bible study, the value of the session 
comes from effort at home in your off time much more than it ever does in the classroom setting. The teaching is going to help, but the growth comes from within yourself. And if you'll grow, it's because you want to. If you want to grow, you will. If you want to learn, you will. The decision to take the time to do it is up to you. It's time. It's all time. And when someone says, I don't think I need to go on Sunday night. <laughs> you really don't want my response. Because that's ignorant. It's completely ignorant. You have no idea how ignorant you're being when you say that. And not from me. Your, your, your deal is with the Apostle Paul. And God gave it to him through the Spirit. He said it, not me. It, but it, that's just ridiculous. There's never enough. You can't get enough. Amen? You can't. And let me give us some explanation to that real quick before we get out of here. You remember that Jesus spoke of a man who entrusted his property to his servants in Matthew 25. The owner distributed his possessions to three stewards. To the first one, he gave five talents. To the second, two. And to the third, one. You remember that story? Two of the servants multiplied their gifts, and the third buried his. Consider for a moment, my friends, that the talent in the Scripture... Okay, consider that talent just for a minute. Assume, in addition to money, the talent might actually point to our understanding or our wisdom. Or maybe it's our desire. And if, if, if our desires for meat and spiritual wisdom, okay, if that's what it is, why should God, or why should we expect God to supply additional wisdom to any of us until we've applied the understanding that we already have? Why would God give us any more knowledge and wisdom if we haven't used what we already got? He's not going to do that. It's a talent. The multiplication of rewards to the servants in Jesus' parable was only to those who, usually, who wisely used their gifts that they were given. And you and I have heard the milk of stewardship. We know God's intention. How can we expect abundance from God before we practice the stewardship that we know? You and I have heard the milk of forgiveness. We know God's requirement. Why can we, how do we think we can expect God's peace until we deal with the bitterness that we're holding on to? You and I have heard the milk of living pure lives, holy lives, righteous lives. We know exactly how God wants us to think and act. You know. Trust me, you do. Okay? You may say you don't when you're busted, but you do. Okay? How can we possibly expect God to multiply his blessings toward us until we begin to practice the pure, holy, and righteous living that he demands? You want God to bless you, but you don't want to be obedient. That doesn't work anywhere, even in our own society. But some of us think it ought to. Shocking, isn't it? Friends, you know that these are fair questions. Are you willing to give an answer? I think that sometimes the answer is painful, but it's an an it has to be answered nevertheless. In Hebrews 5.14, the writer says, Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. God is sending us a dinner invitation. Jesus is the host. Sit down and share in some milk or maybe some meat, depending on where you are. 
What you're able to handle and digest may be different each day, but you'll find it the best meal you ever tried. And as our worship team comes, let me leave you with this. Scotty. God expects us to mature as Christians. I don't think there's any dispute about that. And when we mature, it's evident in our lives. No one should have to ask you why you aren't serving in your church. Did you hear what I said? No one should ever have to ask you why you aren't serving in your church. No one should ever have to ask you why you aren't consistent in your attendance. No one should ever have to ask you why you don't come on Wednesdays, why you don't come on Sunday evenings, why you, you refuse to get into a life group. No one should ever ask you those questions. They should never have to ask you those questions. No one should ever have to ask you if you spend dedicated time in Bible study, dedicated time in prayer, and taking time for God each and every day. And yet, when we haven't been to church for a while, when our attitudes aren't very good, we'll wonder somehow, some way, why no one ever asks us where we've been or what's the matter with us. Why do we do that? It isn't anyone's responsibility to ask you these things. I'm not saying that people shouldn't care for others, nor am I saying that these things might not necessarily need to be done. But you shouldn't expect it because you shouldn't be in the situation anyway. I'm saying that God expects us to do these things. He expects us to do every single thing that Paul lined out and then some. Okay? And it isn't anyone's responsibility to remind us or challenge us to do what God expects us to do in the first place. Now, if you are late to work numerous times, do you complain to your supervisor when you get written up or warned that they just didn't call and remind you that it was time to get up? I'll bet you nobody in here would do that. But by golly, if you spend a little time away from church because your attitude was poor, the first thing we'll do, well, nobody called to see how I was. That's the first thing we do. Wow! That means you're putting more credence on your responsibility at your workplace than you are in your Lord's kingdom. Woo-hoo-hoo! That's exactly what you've done. And friends, I know sometimes we get weak here and weak here. I get it. I know we're emotionally weak. I understand. But here's what I know. I know, friends, that I want to spend time with God. I know that I want to grow. I know I want to learn. I, want, I know I want to be more like Him. And guess what? I know how to do all of that. Every one of you in here knows how to do that. Everybody listening knows how to do that. The big question is, will you? Because I know that if I want this, my effort proves if I really do or not. In the Marine Corps, I knew when chow hours were. I knew where the mess hall was, and I knew when I had to be there. Now, I might not go for one particular reason or another. Sometimes it had to do with what I knew they were having. And other times, I just didn't feel like going down there. But I knew. And guess what? If I went, I got to eat. And if I didn't, I didn't. It's just the way things are. If I didn't take the effort, but it was time, that's the way it is. But spiritually, whether God provides me milk or meat, you know what I know? I'm going to be at the table. I don't care which one he's offering. Because I don't know which one I ought to have. Not nearly as much as he does. I might think I ought to have the meat. But God says, you had some things, but here you need some milk. So 
That's what I need from you. Be at the table. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.